Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. I felt there might be a couple of people in the room who've never kind of given a testimony publicly before, uh, and God might want to use you today. So... I don't know whether that's you, that resonates with you, but you might never have thought to give personal testimony before. But I think if that is you, you've got something that will encourage others. So um, just going to wait on that for a moment. Um, maybe the thought of doing that is terrifying, but he's actually quite a nice bunch of people this morning, so you're okay. Um, but maybe you've never given public testimony before about just even something simple that God's done. But I just felt God might be quickening your spirit this morning. Uh, to do that. So I'm just going to wait for a moment or two. I'm not going to force anybody, but if um, if that's you. Okay, we've got two. That's great. I love it when God's numbers work out. So here's one. Morning. Um, wow. I feel overwhelmed, actually, because I was sitting there just now. Simon said about testimonies. I was sitting there thinking... I haven't got anything to share, and I was just listening to the people come up, I haven't got anything to share, and then this thought just came in my mind that actually something has happened to me since the beginning of the year, and I do want to share it, and I wasn't going to get up, but then Simon said that, and I thought, that's me. <laughs> um, so yes, uh, basically, beginning of the year, I'm, I, I work in sales, very high pressure environment, had a fantastic year last year, top sales, business, everything, came into this year, and oh my goodness, it was awful. I put loads of pressure on myself to do as well as I did last year. I was getting totally drowned by uh, the pressure I was putting on myself. I felt absolutely, my anxiety went through the roof. I was struggling to sleep, you know, forgetting things, feeling absolutely in absolute pieces. And then I just thought, sat down, stopped, and I thought, I'm just going to say a simple prayer. The simplest prayer that you could ever say. And all I said was, Lord Jesus, help. And from that moment, it's like life's just got better and better. The anxiety's gone. I feel a lot more in control. I'm sleeping better. And it just amazes me every time. I don't know why it amazes me, but it amazes me every time that when you just ask for help, Jesus is there and Jesus does help you. So that was it. Thank you very much. <laughs> well done, mate. Well done. You know, God has a really great sense of humour because I felt him nudging me all this time and I'm like, I'm an introvert, I don't do this. So, just as a disclaimer, if you'd like to talk to me, please go through my wife, Emma. <laughs> she is far more sociable than I am. I'm very friendly, but just outwardly not much. Not so. Um, so, thinking about testimonies, I always thought about the testimony of how I became a Christian, which was... 12 years ago now, or oh, I can feel wrinkles sitting in me every time. Um, but interestingly, that doesn't seem relevant now in uh, the testimony of us coming here. Um, and as I said, you know, I, I have a wife, Emma, and we've, yeah, she's the, the very flamboyant one. And because uh, <clears throat> we've spent the last, what, four, five years this year 
in wilderness, in spiritual wilderness, um, because of our sexual orientation. And it was only through what, well, Emma watching stuff on YouTube. I'm, I was far too stubborn to still be looking for any kind of faith community. Um, after all the the things that have been said and done to us, you know, we're we're no strangers to ministry. We've both done all kinds of things. I've got my theological degree and all that. I did my studies on spiritual abuse, and some the thing that came out of my studying was actually the path to healing is usually with the, the the same people that it happened with you know as much as the church can really hurt people it really is the place of healing that was what my studying the result of it was and I was like great <laughs> you know having to take those chances and if any of you know um Brene Brown where she talks about vulnerability so this is like one of those times because I'm like no, I don't want to talk about it. But I think it is really important because I know anyone that stands with us, you know, you think LGBT people, you know, that that's us. That's our faces. That's us as people. You know, we're not just a thing that's over there to talk about. We're not people over there because of the things that you people have done and made us part of your family, especially so quickly. And this, uh, I'm usually so stoic, so I'm either a little bit or all the way up here, so bear with me. It really means the world to us. And ironically, God has a really great sense of humour listening to oceans because I've had problems with my feet and the line of <laughs> where feet may fail. And I was like, that's not funny. <laughs> but it kind of is. And uh, <laughs> that, that was the uh, the testimony that I know that God wants, wants you all to know because I know it comes with such great cost <laughs> to stand with people like us. <laughs> have people say that you know you're not following God you're not a Christian you're possessed by demons you you know you're abomination you you're equivalent to pedophiles and well, things like that and um, thank you so much for bearing that cost <laughs> it really does mean the world to us and it's you know we we spent so long uh, trying to keep faith in God that we would we would find a home again, find a family. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for being that family. Because I guarantee I'll probably never talk like this ever again. <laughs> so that's probably why I'm getting it all out now. But um, I, I know it's not just for me. I'm quite stoic, you know. I've spent the first 20 years of my life not a Christian. So I, I, I was used to being away from church, you know, building up that endurance and, and all that. But my wife really wasn't. And it was so hard trying to support your spouse when, you know, if any of you have got to know her, she just thrives in this community. She thrives with the people of God. And uh, there's something else I was going to say. I can't remember. Um, 
Yeah, there was a, a talk that I listened to last night because I work nights part-time, so I'm always knackered when I come in. I've been awake, you know, until 4am this morning. I got a little bit of sleep. So I listened to a talk by a guy called Father Gregory Boyle, who's one of my favourite guys to listen to. And he something that really uh, reminded me of what's really important here is, um, you know, we're trying to create a community of kinship so much so that God might recognize it and uh, and it really is here it really is as as people who have been uh, so cast out and rejected and I'm stubborn as hell so there was you know there's a lot of walls to break down and um, just straight away we felt so welcome and um, it's so refreshing and lovely and you're all lovely and uh, trying to think of a good way to end it but not really because <laughs> I, I didn't expect to cry uh, and I'm going to have a vulnerability hangover in a minute so please please don't talk to me <laughs> but thank you Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much for uh, being courageous. Um, there's so much power, isn't there, in testimony? So much power in hearing what God is doing in our lives, in the small things and the bigger things. And so um, we, I just want to encourage you, you know, when we, exp- we want to make more space for that. We want to make more opportunity for that because it's so powerful just to see the unique ways that God interacts with us and, and meets us and also with his sense of humor that he has uh, often just sort of gently pins us and says, now is time for you. So... Um, yeah, I just blow my nose. That's the first thing to do. Now I've got, I've got kind of a holy tissue. Look. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we're starting our new series today. Choose a life of worship, and obviously there's a double meaning in that title there. We've called it choose because essentially we do choose. We we are. We're going to talk more today about how Christ sets us free and sets us free to actually make decisions around what we do with our lives. And so choose, choose a life of worship. And over the next six weeks, we'll be exploring the themes of worship uh, together. And hopefully, our, again, when we do these series, our hope is we encourage you, we deepen your uh, understanding, we create a greater vibrancy in your personal life with the Lord. Um, I think the thing we have, we have to broaden straight away is that um, in a modern charismatic church like ours, we tend to think of worship as being the thing that happens here, musically. Uh, for a portion of time uh, during a service. Uh, in older traditions like the Church of England, they would, they would say worship is everything that happens when we gather together, liturgy, prayer. They would describe that as worship. But often, uh, if you're in a church like ours, our, our understanding of worship can narrow down to the musicality uh, of worship. But actually, as we all know, worship is a much bigger thing than that. It's a much bigger umbrella. It encompasses every life, all parts of the life of a believer. So I want to start today by looking at a section from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Um, We're going to join his letter at chapter 12. If ever you've read Romans, it's a big old chunky book. Anyone read Romans? It's one of my favourite books, but it is is a big book. 
uh, a big letter, in fact. And uh, in fact, I think it's probably one of the many letters that triggered people to say to Paul, we find you quite hard to understand because you're writing these massive missives to us and we're, we're struggling just to basically take in everything that's there. The first 11 chapters of what's now that letter is a bit like Paul leading you and I up a mountain. It's like he's taking us on a mountain walk. And uh, that mountain is God's grace and God's love. And he's leading you and I up this mountain together as we go through the first 11 chapters of that letter. Any of you like climbing mountains in the room today? There aren't many mountains in Kent, I know, but there are a few in the UK. Anyone been up Snowden? Ben Nevis? Less, yeah. Okay, so we've got a few mountain climbers in the country. Back in 2013, the Bateson family visited Poland. Our daughter-in-law is Polish, and we wanted to go over there and see the country. So we travelled by train from the south right up to the north. And in the south, there are some beautiful mountains called the Tatra Mountains. Uh, And we didn't know just how high they were, but our daughter-in-law said, why don't we go for a walk? And uh, at one point, she went off the path, and we started to climb the Tatra Mountains. Well, 2,600 metres later we got to the top. And this is the view from the top of the Tatra Mountain. Absolutely beautiful view um, across uh, this mountain range. This is a bit like what Paul is trying to do as he, as he leads us through the letter in Romans. He's taking us up to the viewpoint, that the highest viewpoint, to give us a fresh perspective on the expanse of the love that Christ shows us. And so it's like all through these first chapters, he's taken us up, 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 up. And now at the start of chapter 12, he says, now let's stop and look at the view. Let's take in the, just the majesty and the splendor and the expanse of God's love shown to us in Christ. So he starts Romans 12 by saying this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And it's like Paul saying, look at the view. In view of this incredible love demonstrated to you in Christ, there is something that you need to do. There is something, a way you can respond when we see just how big and expansive God's love is. So Paul says, in view of all this, in view of all that God has done in Christ, you now can choose To worship. And in fact, he says, this is your true and proper response. This is the right thing to do. This is the sensible thing to do in light of what God has done. Because worship really is about something I would call revelation and response. Revelation and response. The revelation part is that we get a glimpse of who God is. We get a glimpse of God's love for us. We get a glimpse of Jesus. And then we can choose to respond to what we see. We respond to that revelation. As our eyes are open, we get a fresh glimpse of God. We respond in worship. And this happens to us initially when we come to Christ, when we first make our choice to follow Christ and trust him. We have that sense of wonder and awe. But it's an ongoing thing that happens repeatedly throughout our lives. We get revelation of who God is and his great love for us, and we respond in worship. And every day we've got the opportunity to get a fresh window into God's love. The testimonies we've heard today have given us a fresh window into God's love. And so we can respond again in worship. And someone once described 
God like a diamond, a multifaceted diamond. You could hold up and turn in the light and see all these different facets of who God is. And it's like every day we have a chance to see a fresh facet of God's love for us, of how much he did for us, of how much Christ gave for us. We have this sense of turning a diamond in the light, and as it catches the light, we see the different facets of God's love, a fresh perspective. And so, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we get this ongoing revelation of who God is, this ongoing revelation of God's love for us. We just keep getting more and more views of God. And Paul says, in light of this, we can respond in worship. There's a book right at the very end of your Bible, it's called Revelation. It's a, it's a strange old book, it's full of all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff. I want to explain a little secret this morning. Anybody who says they understand Revelation doesn't. <laughs> There's many, many books being written about this book. Uh, it's, it's, it's full of all sorts of, of, of fascinating things. It's basically, uh, the, uh, John got a, um, was exiled by the Romans onto the island of Patmos. And he, while he was there, he had angelic vi- visions. And it's like God drew back the corner of heaven and eternity. And he got a glimpse into the throne room. And... Uh, Bless him, he tried to write it down. He tried to describe what he saw through these angelic visitations. Um, no one's fully sure what all these things mean in Revelation. But what you can take away from the book of Revelation is that God wins. Okay, That's the end of the story. God wins. Love wins. And so Paul, uh, John tries to write down what he sees um, as, as God pulls back the corner uh, of, of eternity and he glimpses into the throne room. And I want to read from uh, chapter 4 of Revelation. And this is John speaking. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was the throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircling the throne. And in Revelation you find lots of likes, because John is using all these different analogies to try and describe the wonder of what he sees so he says there's someone sitting on the throne. That's someone we can assume is Jesus. And he's like Jasper. And Jasper was red. But no, he needs more descriptive power. So he's like Jasper and he's like Ruby. He's not just Jasper red, he's Ruby red. So John is layering on the analogies to try and describe what he's seeing in heaven. Lots of red <laughs> is what John is seeing. And then there's a rainbow. Now obviously you and I think a rainbow is multicolored, but the rainbow that John sees is somehow a green rainbow. And so he tries to describe what he sees. It's like an emerald, this rainbow that I'm seeing in heaven. I can imagine someone trying to get a witness statement from John after this visitation saying, just tell me again, what was it you saw? You saw Jasper, you saw Ruby, you saw a green rainbow. Poor old John trying to describe what it looks like in the heavenly realm. And then he goes on to say, and in front of the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Again, like a sea, it's like crystal. I'm just trying to tell you what I saw, the, the incredible revelation that I saw as God came to me in these visitations. Then things get really weird. At the centre, round the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion, and the second was like an ox, and the third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Lots of likes again. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. 
John sees these, these angelic beings, these strange angelic beings that are like a lion. They're like an ox. One seemed to have the face of a man. One seemed to be flying like an eagle, covered with eyes. Now, I can't imagine what John must have thought as he saw these extraordinary angelic beings. And he must have wondered what they were and, and, and who they were and, and what they were for. But one thing he could take away from his vision was that they were worshipping. They were worshipping. He wrote this, Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Revelation and response. These creatures in the throne room of heaven, covered in eyes, equipped more than any creature may be to see the glory of God. They see the glory of God and they respond in worship. Holy, holy, holy. They see again and they respond in worship. Holy, holy, holy. They see again and they respond in worship. And this is a continual cycle of revelation and response taking place in the throne room of heaven. And their seeing seems to be magnified by the fact they're covered in eyes. They're more equipped than any of us to see the glory of God. And their response to all that they see is that they worship. They never stop saying day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it's almost like you can imagine them bearing down in worship and then looking up and going, oh my goodness, God's great, holy, holy, holy. Oh my goodness, God's great, holy, holy, holy. And this continual cycle of worship taking place as they see and get a revelation of who Jesus is, magnified and glorified in heaven. And it's that continuous worship that you and I get caught up with when we worship. You know, occasionally on a Sunday, it feels like I've gone to heaven. Not all the time, I've got to be honest. But sometimes I get caught up almost like into heavenly worship and you feel like almost like you've been transported into the place where worship is, is happening all the time. And it's almost like you've got a little slice, a little window of what it is to be in God's presence. Anybody experience that? And I say it's not, it doesn't happen all the time. But occasionally it's like God peels back the corner and gives you and I a glimpse into eternity. A glimpse into the worship that's happening continually in the heavenly realms. Paul tells us, that in view of God's mercy, we're to offer ourselves in worship. You and I get a revelation of who God is. We get a revelation of Christ's love. And on the way up this mountain, in the letter of the Romans, Paul's been explaining God's love demonstrated in Christ, how much God's grace is displayed, how much God urges his choice to go to the cross. And, and all these things are unpacked as we climb that mountain of God's love and God's grace. Jesus reconciles us back to the Father. He unites us together as a family. He transforms us. He uses us to bring transformation to our communities. And he does it all through grace. All through grace. In view of God's mercy. And so each one of us now has an opportunity to respond to that mercy, that great mercy that's been demonstrated to us through Christ. We stand on this mountain of God's love and God's grace, and, in, and this is the perspective we have as believers, as followers of Christ. And this perspective should elevate our worship far beyond just songs. Songs are great, and they give us a chance to express our heart to God, 
But this perspective of standing on the mountaintop of God's love should change the way we do life. It should mean that worship is woven through every aspect of our lives. In view of God's love, Paul encourages us to offer our whole self back to God. He uses this strange term, uh, living sacrifice, living sacrifice. In the old Levitical system, animals were used to sacrifice to God as a way of worship. Different sizes of animals were sacrificed in different ways. Different amounts of animals were sacrificed in different ways. But the thing about all those animals is that they, they, they died. When you sacrifice an animal, it dies. But Paul says now, you and I are living sacrifices. We don't die because Jesus has already died for us. He has done the sacrificing. He has gone to the cross voluntarily. You and I now become living sacrifices. And that means we can choose to offer ourselves back to God on a continual basis. Not once, but in an ongoing way, we can offer ourselves back to God. And the choice to worship, the choice to offer ourselves back to God, is what this series is all about. You and I get to choose. You and I get to decide what we do with the freedom that Jesus has given us. Because when we accept Jesus into our lives, he sets us free. He sets you and I free. The Bible talks about something called sin. Sin is the stuff that leads us to rebel against God, to turn, leads us to turn inward and become selfish in our lives. It separates us from God's love. Jesus deals with that on the cross. Not only does he deal with it, but also he sets us free from it. So the Bible says we're no longer slaves to sin. We are free to choose what we do with our lives. It says in John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So you are free if you follow Christ this morning. You are free from those rebellious uh, actions and thoughts that can come beset us in the form of sin. So Christianity isn't about being bound up by religious laws or instructions. It's about being primarily free. Paul says this in his letter to the Galatians. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So Christ sets us free. And we get to choose then what we do with our freedom. We get to choose what we do with our lives. And Paul encourages us in other letters to say, you can use your freedom well. He says in Galatians 5.13, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. We get a choice when God sets us free. We can worship God and we can serve each other. We can love God and we can love people. And this is all in light of this great revelation of who God is and what he's done through us. In Christ, we get to choose what to do. And so, a living sacrifice is someone who uses their freedom to choose to worship God. You can choose to give love back to God because of the love that He's shown you. We can live in a holy and pleasing way, not because God makes us, but because we choose to do this. Paul says this is your true and proper worship. For worship to be true, it has to be a heart choice. It can't be something that you're made to do or forced into or doing because you feel 
guilty or obligated. If worship is going to be true worship, it has to come from a choice in the heart, a choice based upon freedom. No loving parent would force their child to love them, would they? No loving parent would do that. And our heavenly loving father doesn't force you or I to love him, to respond in love. He sets us free and positions us so we can choose to love him. The word translated proper here in Romans is rational. It's the rational thing to do. It's the sensible thing to do. It's not even a kind of a airy-fairy thing to do. In light of God's love and God's grace, the sensible thing to do is to respond in worship. So, in a way, the most natural thing for us to do as followers of Jesus is when we get a, a revelation again of who God is, is to turn to him in worship. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. One of the most profound verses in scripture. We love because he first loved us. The love that we give back to God is based upon the love that he's demonstrated to us. We offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. True and proper worship. The word worship here is not a, a singing word. It's, it means divine service. Divine service. Give your divine service to God in light of his great love. And so Paul says to be a living sacrifice is to live in light of God's love and to live in gratitude to God's love and then give our lives back to him, to let him use us in divine service. And that can be in every single area of our lives. And over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack what that might look like for us in different ways. But I want to finish today by encouraging you, encouraging you primarily in your life of worship. You might have never really understood why we sing songs on a Sunday morning. You might, feel, you might hate singing songs on a Sunday morning. You might have thought, I want to get this bit over with and get on with the other stuff. You know, why, do we, why do we set this time aside to sing some songs and have music uh, when we gather together? Well, primarily, we're trying to get a fresh revelation of God's love, and we're trying to respond to that revelation. And I said, occasionally, when we come into God's presence and we sing those songs... We get a fresh glimpse through the words and the musicality and the sense of God's spirit. We get a fresh revelation of God's great love for us and we respond in worship. And suddenly the words become alive. The words become meaningful. The words become, they take on a personal nature. Perhaps you've never felt comfortable closing your eyes in worship. Perhaps you've never felt comfortable raising a hand in worship. I've known some people who struggle to raise both hands, they've kind of compromised and raised one. They feel safe doing that. Two's a bridge too far, one's okay. <laughs> you may have never even considered getting on your knees in worship. You know, you're, you're, I don't know where you are today in terms of your personal experience of worship. But what worship is doing is preparing us for an eternity with our Heavenly Father. It's preparing us to enter into those eternal spaces with a Christ that's so magnified, that's so glorified, our response to him will be worship. It says in that book of Revelation, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Now, I don't think that's because God's going to make people do that. 
I think one day everyone's going to get to see Jesus as he really is. And I think when we get to see Jesus as he really is, then our response will always be worship. At this point in time, we don't have that full perspective. But what we do have is the choice. We can choose to worship God fully now with the revelation that we have. One day you and I will get a much bigger revelation of God's love, a bigger perspective. It's like we'll be taken to the top of the highest mountain possible and we'll see God in all his glory. And yes, we can worship. But at the moment, Paul says, where you are now, with the revelation you have in view of God's mercy, you and I can choose to offer ourselves back to God. So I want to encourage you to use these next six weeks to think about how your worship life can expand. If you've never raised a hand, maybe choose to raise a hand. If you've never thought about kneeling in your quiet time before God, maybe choose to kneel. If you've never, a whole, whatever it looks like for you to deepen and broaden your response to God in worship. Maybe your worship life has grown stale. Maybe it needs fresh invigoration. Maybe you need a fresh revelation of who God is to input into your worship life. Perhaps some worship has become mechanical to you, become too familiar to you. You need something fresh. Or perhaps you struggle with some of the complexities of the Bible. You don't fully understand. The thought of reading Romans just freaks you out because it's just a bridge too far. It doesn't matter really in a sense what camp you're in this morning. I want to encourage you with some words of Jesus. Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus isn't saying we need to regress and become childlike in that sense. What he is saying is a child knows where to go for love. A child knows the simplicity of turning to a parent or a carer in love. And what God would, I think, try and help you understand again this morning is that just to turn to God simply in worship is the most profound and yet the simplest acts you can do. It can be as simple as a child turning to a parent or a carer for love, to be, to be held again and receive that unconditional love. And Jesus said, unless you change and become like this, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle with the kingdom of heaven. Because so many things can get in the way, so many complexities. Jesus wanted it to be the most natural thing in the world for you and I to turn to him, turn to God the Father, and receive love. And one thing I've realised more and more over the past few weeks is that sometimes as Christians we're more fixated on what's right or what's wrong rather than where what's loving and what's not loving. We get fixated, don't we, as Christians on what's the right thing and what's the wrong thing. Where are the, where are the boundaries? Jesus was fixated on love. And as Christians, often we're so bound up on right or wrong that we miss the fact that actually Jesus primarily came so you and I could know the Father's love. You and I could encounter the unconditional love of God. And so I want to encourage us over these next few weeks, try just turning to God in the simplest way. Try to leave behind some of the, uh, the baggage, some of the confusion, some of the complexity, 
And let's begin to turn back to God, just like a child would, in the simplest way, to receive the love of the Father, to receive that love into our souls. And from that place, we again choose to worship again. We choose to offer ourselves again. Not out of religious obligation or guilt, or trying to figure out what's right or wrong, or what, what, what should a Christian do, or what shouldn't a Christian do. Let's come from a place of love, as Christ's love fills us, that fresh revelation. Choosing a life of worship, it starts with knowing where that source of love is. Jesus went to the cross so you could be one with the Father. You could be reunited with God and experience his unconditional love and grace in your life. And you might have a little bit of love this morning and you might have a lot. But I want to encourage you to open your heart and let God fill you again with his great love. Because it's that love that catapults us into a life of service. That should be the thing that motivates us and changes us. Not any kind of religious obligation or mandate. It's the love of God in view of his great mercy that we offer ourselves back to him in love. And that's where worship starts. And that's where it needs to stay for all of us as we journey on in life. Every day you have the opportunity to get a fresh bit of revelation of how much God loves you. How much Jesus wanted to reconcile you to the Father. And as we respond to that revelation in worship, then we, God changes us. We get a bit more healing. We get a bit more understanding. We get a bit more compassion. We get a bit more of his grace poured into our lives. And all this equips us for what Paul calls divine service, a life holy and pleasing to the Father. Let's stand together for Abel. So over the next few weeks, I hope that as we journey together through this series that we get a greater revelation together of who God is, his great love for us. We climb that mountain of God's mercy and we see the view from the top once again. We simplify right down to be able to come to God just as a child would come. Just as a child would come. And, and that childlike ability to receive all that God has for us. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.